Hello everyone, welcome to this new edition of Let's Talk About Public Code. This is the fourth podcast. My name is Alba Roza and uh, I'm one of the code-based stewards of the Foundation for Public Code. And uh, as you can see, I'm not alone today here, but uh, let's go little by little. First of all, I'm going to say hi to Jan. Hi Jan. Hello Alba, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, and I'm starting with Jan because Jan is also a code-based steward like me. And uh, he's uh, been working with developing a course for the standard for public code that has uh, recently been published, right Jan? Yes, indeed. And this was a collaboration with the, the Open and Agile Smart Cities. And that's why we, partly why we invited Leah to be on here today. Yeah, shall we introduce her then? Yes, so we'll say hello to Leah Hemmetsberger from Open and Agile Smart Cities. And if I understand it correctly, you're the Communication and Project Director at the OAC. Welcome. Exactly. Hi, guys, and thanks so Hi much Leah. for having me here. Pleasure to have you. So, uh, yeah, let's start with the obvious question, maybe, right? Uh, so what is Open and Agile Smart Cities and, and how are you organized? Sure, um, that makes sense probably. Um, for those of you who are listening and who do not know what um, Open and Agile Smart Cities is, uh, we are an international network of uh, cities and communities. Um, currently, we have about 156 uh, member cities across uh, four continents and organized in, in local chapters. Uh, so currently, we have 31. So, for example, we have OEC Japan, OEC South Korea, OEC Belgium, all the way to Argentina. And, um, yeah, we're growing still. So um, it's always nice to see, actually. And um, what we're doing is uh, that we are working towards uh, the foundations for a global market where um, digital city services can be replicated and scaled more easily. And that based on a common and open set of, of technical standards, which we are calling the minimal interoperability mechanisms, or the easier way to say it, it's um, the MIMS. And to do that, we are working with the cities, but we're also working uh, with institutional partners, um, such as our core partners, um, that are universities and, and government uh, agencies as well, but also with commercial partners, uh, so that we can make this happen with our cities at the core. So this is a bit um, OAC in five seconds, so to speak. All right. And let's dig a little bit deeper in that then. So the means, the minimum interoperable mechanisms, how are they helping the cities to replicate and scale? Yeah, so basically the MIMS, um, those mechanisms that we are advocating for, in theory, it's, it's actually fairly simple. So the idea is that once you as a city or also as a vendor, um, you use the MIMS in your technical infrastructure. And the MIMS, I also have to say that, they are a curated set of already existing standards. So we're not inventing um, or creating anything new or anything on top. We're simply looking out there, what are standards that are already being used successfully that can help to achieve what I just mentioned, to replicate, for example, digital solutions. And once you implement MIMS as a city, you can be sure that the services that you are procuring, that you're implementing, are interoperable with what you already have, but also what will be coming in um, at a later stage. So that new services, for example, new data can be connected to what is already there in your, your technical infrastructure. So that's basically the, the idea behind, behind the MIMS. So to sum it up, what areas are you, uh, are you covering now with these uh, MIMS? Yeah. Um, the MIMS are actually fairly horizontal and minimal. So we're not focusing on specific domains in a smart city, but we're more looking towards 
the broader context. And actually, when I say context, that's also already the first MIM. That's how do you manage context information of data so that it's available in a structured format so that um, the different apps can connect and know, okay, when was data collected, where and how and how often and so on and so forth. And for this specific one, um, just to go a bit into, into the techie details now, um, that being said, I'm not a techie, uh, so I can only scratch at the surface here. But for the first MIM for context um, information management, we're actually recommending um, a European standard called NGSILD, which is the specification is, is actually managed by ETSI, the European Standards uh, Organization. So this is one of the MIMs that are most developed actually, and also most implemented already and where we have also the most use cases um, and also working in projects on, on developing this further and supporting cities in, in implementing those. So it's, it's a bit abstract to me, like with the interoperable mechanisms. Can you make it a little bit more tangible and also for our listeners to like, how does it get implemented in a city? Well, actually, maybe I should have invited also our technical architect here to Tons. I'm actually missing him dearly right now. Um, we're starting with the with the very heavy technical questions. I actually have to say that the the MIMS basically um, what they're doing is yeah, and it, it is very abstract. I have to I have to say that. So when you are starting with the MIMS as a city, um, I think first of all it's important to know. What is it? How are you managing data at the moment? Do you have a data platform installed in your city? Are there any legacy systems that you're already using? And for example, um, the first MIM, uh, the context broker, helps to integrate the different data sources in a city and to streamline different data sources and to translate between data sources so that they can be actually analyzed jointly. I, I hope that makes a bit more sense, but it, it, it helps it to, yeah. to sort of bring different data sources in the city together yeah. um, to visualize. For example, the first MIM uh, on, on context information management is quite important in one of the most recent actually hypes around digital technologies in cities, which I'm probably sure you have heard about, uh, the digital urban twins. So it's, it's also um, in a digital twin, which is a replication of a, of a city in a digital um, environment, you need to bring together a lot of different data sources. And here is where really the context broker is of essence so that you can actually get all the data in. Probably all the technicians are like, oh my God, she's not getting it right. Or, you know, it's like missing certain points. At least you made um, it much more clear to me. I, I hope, uh, I mean, this is yeah. the high level view of it. Yeah. Um, and I Thanks. think maybe next time. Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll bring the chef on board for, for the more uh, detailed explanation of it. I would like to ask uh, yet another question about MIMS, and uh, it's uh, concerning the pipeline. So what's the pipeline you have in mind for the future? Yeah, well, the MIMS are really under, under constant development, actually. Um, we have started with a set of three MIMS, and those MIMS are in a fairly different, actually, state of development, um, I have to say. So we have the first one, which is the context data, data management. But then very closely related to this are also the shared data models, where we are working with different players in the field, for example, the Fiverr Foundation, to actually recommend a different, uh, well, to recommend to cities the different shared data models for the specific domains. So then we're talking about energy domains, mobility, um, how to link up your, you know, smart waste paper bin uh, up to your data platforms. You do need then data models. Um, again, this is all I can tell you about it. 
for the technical details. Um, I'm definitely not the right one. But this is then what some the first two are very closely connected there. And our third MIM that has been adopted by our member cities um, a couple of years ago, actually following uh, one of the flagships projects, um, the synchronicity project that was actually also quite tremendous in developing the MIMS also. So we have context management, data models, and the third one is how do you link them up to marketplaces? So the whole managing um, the transaction ecosystem. There is still some work to do and, and uh, together with the Technology Council, uh, we're on to this. So there will be um, actually this year, I think, quite some tremendous uh, steps being made on, on MIM3 um, to develop that further. And there are two more, actually, that have been by our members approved as uh, work items um, early last year. And there is one concerning personal data management, uh, which is championed by um, the city of Helsinki. They also brought this item forward because it's quite close to their view of being a, a smart city, a digital city, um, relating to being a proactive city and offering also personalized services to their citizens, but without you know, infringing privacy rights, respecting um, citizens' choices also in managing their own personal data towards the city. And there we're working with the city of Helsinki, with uh, My Data Global as well, and, and also some, some private companies who are closely tied to the uh, My Data um, environment. And specifically, maybe I can also mention uh, Vastu Group, who is now also becoming one of our enterprise partners. So there will be a lot happening actually this year in, in bringing specific specifications um, forward to our cities uh, this year on, on personal data management. And I noticed that I've been talking for quite some time, but uh, the, the other one that we're working on is um, fair artificial intelligence which is quite a complex topic, um, albeit a quite uh, important one, which was brought forward by the city of Amsterdam to investigate what are the technical mechanisms that are underlying to make sure that AI is also used in a fair and, and um, democratic way. And again, Helsinki is also involved in this one, um, and we hope to make a lot of progress also this year. That being said, there's again some more development, which I can't really share um, by now. Maybe I can just say that it's also related to, to the topic of digital twins, and especially also related to uh, geodata and location data. And we're now um, actually mapping out partnerships there um, to actually also move ahead on, on this topic because it's becoming increasingly important um, to also find a common baseline uh, for, for this also in, in light of this big trend of digital urban twins that really seem to be now um, the way to go for, for cities and, and bear real value also for, for many cities and decisions ma decision makers. So yeah, that's basically where we are at the moment. So, Leah, I have a question. One of the last sentences you've said, it made me think something that it's very obvious. You're like in this sort of hub, meaning like, you know, you have, you're in contact with a lot of factors, a lot of municipalities and entities and organizations all around, not only Europe, but other countries as well. So, um, my question is, would be, what are these, the topics that you're feeling? Like, for instance, now you mentioned geodata, but uh, I don't know, are there any other hot topics that uh, are being discussed right now or something that you, you predict that uh, it's something that uh, it's going to be surrounding us soon, heavily? 
Heavily. Um, I, I think what will keep us really busy is the topic of digital twins, because it just it really is that one thing that integrates all of these parts that I that I just mentioned. It integrates the the um, well, it brings together the data integration between so breaking down silos silos across um, across uh, the departments in the city. It has the dashboarding, the visualization of data. Um, so this aspect. It has also the potential to open it up more easily to citizens, citizen groups, to the outside world um, beyond basically just the city, if the city wants to do that. It also has the AI component in there because a digital twin is then effective when you can actually work with predictive modeling. So there is a lot that actually is combined by by this topic. And if can you I can actually... Yeah, sure. In, interject a little bit. So you mentioned digital twin and I think I know what it is, but I'm not sure all of our listeners will know what it is. Could you just briefly explain the concept? Yeah, the, the concept actually is, is fairly simple and it, it's it's quite well known already in the engineering world. So it basically comes out of, well, I think one famous example is the engines of, of airplanes, where you simply replicate the full thing in a digital environment with every sort of parameters that you have uh, so that you can see what happens if you do this, um, what happens to the whole engine then, um, so that you can predict, for example, also maintenance and these sort of things. And for the cities, it's um, actually the same. So you take the city, um, you put it online, so to speak, you put it in a digital environment, you combine it with maps, with 3D data of buildings, um, with orthophotos, uh, so to, to actually create that 3D um environment of the city and then you basically inject data from the different sources you can it you know fill the data of where are the trees in the streets um so for example you can also put in air pollution data from sensors that are just deployed in the city and you know exactly okay in that area there is a lot of traffic at the moment and um the air quality is bad okay that's quite obvious i guess um but then once you have pulled all that data in for your use cases or for you for what you want to actually um evaluate with a digital twin so let's say you're having your sensor data from uh, the, the the sensors that you have installed um, you have the traffic flow from i don't know a partner in your city uh, you know where the buses are and how they are um, routing and when they are actually leaving a bus stop and so on and so forth and then you could actually just a use case what we're going to work in in one of our projects is what happens if i close the streets for pedestrians only, for example. I block it for, for the cars. What happens in the surroundings? Um, how does it affect traffic flow in the surrounding area? What happens to noise levels in the surrounding area? Is it only one street that is heavily affected? Will it be sort of distributed evenly? Will there be maybe no effect at all? You know, you don't know. It sort of serves as a tool once you have the data right. I think that is the most important because the data here is key. If it's not of good quality or if it's not um, interoperable as well. I mean, if the data is in PDF, <laughs> that is something that doesn't really help. But once you have all integrated and working nicely with the predictive modeling that helps you do this, then it is a very powerful tool um, for both the city itself, but also for lobby groups, for citizen groups who want to make a case, for example, to open up more streets for pedestrians only, uh, or the city can say, look, um, we tested everything we, in addition to many other things, but here's how it would look like, presumably, based on the data we have. Uh, so it, it actually makes your, your case in the city stronger. And 
that is, I think, the value that many are seeing, especially the integration of data across the different departments and then making sense of it um, and to support policymaking um, with that tool. We were talking before about the memes, so um, I feel that we were talking, as you mentioned, uh, maybe a little bit about technical, in a sense, or way more technical uh, questions. So I have another question talking about the open technical specifications. That was a thing that we've already spoke about. And now I want to ask you about the general work of OSC. Uh, I want to know if, if that work is also being done in the open. Yeah, I, I think we're trying to be as transparent and pos as possible, also trying to include as many people as possible. I think we still have some miles to run there uh, on, on making it more open, more inclusive, more transparent as well. Um, but maybe we can have a chat on that because I know that you guys are doing this really well. So uh, maybe, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot that we can learn, I think, from you on, on how to really organize it in the open. I think there are some things that need to also stay in smaller circles, but what we always do, um, so we in, in our quest to actually make it a bit more accessible, a bit more, you know, we are updating our governance now. Um, and as part of that, we have uh, last year also brought to life the Technology Council, which is um, a group of external, but also city experts who uh, discuss current topics that are ongoing, coming together four times per year, so not that often, but it's it's simply a forum where these very technical matters can be discussed by neutral experts, because oftentimes in the cities, the expertise on these specific topics might not be there, um, depending on the size of the city, of course, and also the interest of the city in, in, in this specific topic. So we decided to have this sort of neutral sounding board that helps us in, in, in going forward with the MIMS also. We are also organizing working groups uh, in that where we invite cities to partake in these as well. We have monthly calls with our member cities uh, where we invite them, where we give updates on, on what we're up to, uh, not only concerning the MIMS, but also everything else. And the MIMS specifically, um, we never go forward with the specific recommendation of specifications for MIMS without having presented them to the cities at our General Assembly and without having their approval for it. So there is always a vote on do you accept this MIM as a working item first? And then do you accept these specifications for the MIM that we have now worked out with a set of experts? Um, and they will always have um, the ability to say yes or no for this. So this is very important for us as well, this, this internal validation um, of what we're doing also on a technical level. Hmm. And I just follow on on your comment there, Lia, like, yes, I think we should sort of collaborate on this. We try to be working in the open, but it's always, it's a challenge because none of the traditional methods are done for that. Like, so you always have to sort of uh, learn as you go. So if we can yeah. learn from each other, that would be awesome. And I would definitely appreciate that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and was it about uh, a little bit earlier than this, a year ago, when you had your last like yearly physical annual event, and I, yes, I was there, indeed. and I was something that struck me was that all the people that were there were so driven, and what we call in the Nordic language, we have a word for that, eldhjel in Swedish. It's literally translated to fire soul, like it's someone who is a champion. And I imagine most of the people that you are meeting are 
fire souls in a sense because they they believe in this idea but over the time that you have been working have you seen a shift in the support they get from their organizations because i get a fire soul is always the fire soul but how are their working environment changing yeah I, first of all i love the term fire souls i mean it's, it's literally people who are burning for our thing right so it's this Very is, passionate. I think, this is what what I think really um, defines many people that we are working with in the cities, but also uh, in our partner organizations. And I mean, just I mean, look at you guys; it's the same. You're burning for this thing, and, and you're doing so many cool things out there. Just you know, providing things for for everyone for free, and um, trying to support so many uh, you know cities, but also other organizations. And I think, first of all, without the fire souls here, um, we we wouldn't be what we are. <laughs> so big kudos to everyone who who ever has sort of contributed um, to OEC, but also of course to to Foundation for Public Code. To your question, um, how did that change i think um there is a there are some factors that always influence the support for these um innovative people in cities and particularly in cities and i'm, I'm not that long in the game i mean I'm, i've been working with oac now for three and a half years um full time it sounds long somehow, but then it's a very short period and you only get to know. I mean, it's not even a full term of, you know, being a mayor in a city, right? So um, it's it's not, uh, but you get a glimpse of, of what's going on, of course. And what I noticed is that um, the political environment is extremely important for for these people to move ahead, to to jump on that sort of train of openness, interoperability, um, agility as well. I think these are all the terms that are very much connected to developments of software. But within a traditional city environment, this is extremely new. And if you don't have the political drive and willingness to support this, then these fire souls are actually they're alone in the city to some extent. And they have all the good intentions, but there is no, you know, a lack of budget. There is a lack of support from from the higher ranks, um, and and we do see, of course, those people who are driven and have this political environment supporting them. There is a lot happening in cities, and you know, just so many new cool things that are coming out, and that I'm so excited about um, every time I'm, I'm talking to these people. But in others, they you see how you know it just doesn't work out because the support isn't there, um, and that's always a bit sad to see actually but on the other hand it's so nice if it works out but i won't go into much more detail here i guess it's also related to uh in immature uh, democracies as well right like in in countries where democracies are younger or not so solid as in other ones maybe uh let's say politician background or or yeah like political support might not be as present and or what i'm trying to say in a nutshell is maybe like you know even though government changes, if it's like a way heavier or solid or way more solid uh, government or system, uh, maybe the civil servant or this fire soul doesn't feel it that much, right? As in a, maybe a younger one, a younger democracy. That, that could be. I'm, I'm not sure. I, have, I actually haven't thought about that. So I, I, I can't really. But I, I also sometimes see that um, if it's a younger democracy, sometimes... You know, things are just going a bit more. They're more like eager to to do things, mm. um, and it's like, yes, we're finally on the train. And then, yeah, others are are taking it step by step. What what I also see often is that if you have a centralized government on a national level, 
and that government is committed to driving things, then things are, can also go really, really quickly because then from the top level, you know, there's the drive um, for, yeah. for specific um, things to, to, to go about. I think Japan is a quite interesting example here because they, they recently had this commitment also as part of the G20 that they hosted um, in 2019 for you know, going the, the European way of digital transformation, but also speeding up internal um, transformation of cities, having a super city program on centralized level, also um, referring to, to open standards in, in their guidelines and strategies, which is extremely encouraging. Uh, but here you have, of course, this very strong top-down approach and the cities have to comply, sort of. <laughs> but, um, this is also helpful, of course. And if, if such uh, governments are taking on the open approach um, to digital transformation, then this is extremely um, good to see, I think. So there are different ways of, of approaching this. And yeah, it's it's. I actually have to say that working with OAC is just such a pleasure because you get insights in so many different working environments, so many different ways of doing things. And, and that is just really, really great. So I, I appreciate actually every day I'm working with OAC. The changes is, is definitely there, but um, do you think it's it's uh, too soon to talk about success stories? I'm, uh, this is like a follow-up question to the previous one related to the level of support of these fire souls. Yeah. I, I, we do have success stories for sure, um, especially in the way that we see how this approach to minimal interoperability is being picked up on various levels. We're still in, in early you know, stages, and I also know that from OAC side, we, we still have a lot to do and uh, a lot of miles to run together with our members and partners. But you see a lot that is happening now, especially related to procurement of, of digital technologies, where um, an approach like the, the minimal approach, um, the MIMS um, can support in putting out procurements, in putting out guidelines as well for um, data platforms, for, for example. There is a lot happening. I think we mentioned it in, in our um, so prep talk, uh, actually, just, just before we opened it. Sweden, um, there's a lot happening in Denmark, in uh, Finland, of course. So the Nordics are always very strong in, in that discussion, especially when you talk about openness as well. Um, there's a strong drive. Also, the region of Flanders in Belgium is, is doing a lot at the moment, um, both on the technical side, on the semantic side. Um, there's a lot going on really in, in that aspect. Um, I mentioned Japan already. And um, what we're also seeing now increasingly is also interest from um, countries in, in Africa, which I'm, I'm quite happy about because um, we haven't really had connections there, but there is also like innovation. How can we do this? How can, you know, uh, solutions be more scalable? And I think this is um, extremely exciting to see also for us. As you mentioned, several kinds of countries here, and I guess you have a lot of members in many of them. So. And that leads into this question from the chat here from Boris. So how do you manage that many member cities? Like, what do you ask them to contribute? And, yeah. and how can you deal with the different levels of commitment? Because I guess not everyone goes all in at once. Yeah, I, I think there are also different... Maybe I start with the last part of the question yep. with the different uh, levels of commitment. Um, yes, there are the forerunners. Um, there are big cities, there are small cities that are super active and, and really... Um, engaged in, in what they're doing and of course it's always a pleasure to work with those because 
uh, it's so easy. Um, there is, you know, they want to learn more, they want to know more, they want to implement um, the, the, the technical uh, principles. And then there are those who are just exploring and who say, like, I like this, this is the way to go, but I don't yet know how to do this, I need to find my way around. Um, they are usually also joining meetings, um, listening in, um, reusing the knowledge also of these foreigners. And then there are those where sometimes also the political environment changes or you know, one person, one of the fire souls move away and then there's not that much activity anymore. I think um, this is something that every network has um, to deal with. Of course, we, we do our best to sort of keep um, the sleepers, as we call them, um, as you know, minimum as, as possible and, and to at least keep everyone informed. But I think there's, there's not much about, sometimes there's not much that you can do. It's simply how, how things go. But it's important that you have the drivers in your network. And if you don't have them, then it's becoming really, really difficult, I think. Um, luckily, that's not the case with OAC. I'm very happy. But also with OAC, it was, I think, quite interesting because it was a network that also uh, was very much driven from, from some cities in the beginning. Just to mention Tampere in Finland, for example, the uh, Agency for uh, Economic uh, Development Business Tampere is actually also still in our board of directors. So we have that support from some cities from the very beginning when we were not even a, a legal um, institution and they're still with us. And I think this is very nice to see that, you know, it's great to manage and, and to, to be in touch with, with such cities, actually. But there are also some other parts of the questions. Actually, Boris, this is a long question. Um, <laughs> um, how do we manage our that many member cities? The good thing is about the way we are organized is that we're organized in national chapters. So uh, there is a way, and sometimes it can be a bottleneck too, um, that we have chapter coordinators who are our, for the um, headquarters, so to speak, um, our main contact points in the cities. Sometimes also cities just are very active and they come directly to us, which is also great. But we have this national, basically we're a network of networks. So we have this local administration also where meetings take place um, in, in different intervals. So every, every chapter is actually free to organize themselves a bit. And, and what concerns the commitments, that is actually quite low because we invite cities to join meetings. Um, so this is a bit the commitment that we ask. So please show up, um, share, uh, you know, share the knowledge, spread the knowledge. And then um, there is also the commitment to implement the MIMS. This is where it gets tricky because, of course, you need to have the funding available. You need to convince um, the city administrations. You might have to uh, apply for a call in the European environment, um, the European Commission calls, for example, or some other ways of, of funding these projects internally. But we also see that, for example, being part of OEC often helps cities to, to move ahead with, with these internal projects. So often the strategy is already there. And we just help them also um, to connect with other cities in, in their country or in Europe or beyond Europe. And then this helps also in, in, in moving forward with, with implementation of, of the open standards. I'm very curious. It's so nice and so uh, fascinating listening to you uh, because you seem to be one of these fire souls that we're we're talking about, right? Like you're in the middle and you you're like a conversation enabler in between different parties and municipalities. That that sounds so good. And that precisely because of that, I wanted to ask you um, what would be maybe like some events, blogs, or I don't know, code bases, spaces that uh, 
you would recommend for a civil servant that wants another fellow uh, fire soul that wants to, to join and be part of these conversations? So now I have to be very biased. <laughs> I wonder what you're going to say. <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, well, of course, you know, if you are that fire soul in a city, it would be cool if you join OAC. Um, first of all, because there you meet, you know, a couple of people um, that are, you know, alike, that are going to the same direction where you can also exchange. And we recently, actually in, in January now, we launched a new brand um, that is called City by City. And under this brand, um, there's our festival. It's an annual um, event, which uh, we ran until this year under the brand of Connected uh, Smart Cities and Communities Conference. So maybe some of you have been there or maybe might have seen you. It was always a physical event in Brussels, but we actually this year, due to the pandemic, but also We'll keep an online part for the future for sure. So we had in January for the first time the City by City Festival. Um, we actually two days full of content from Australia to um, Mexico uh, with a lot of content from Europe as well. So it was a really great party with, well, party, a content party, let's call it that. But we also had a DJ. And it was really um, nice to see so many examples from the different you know, cities, the partners. There's so much going on at the moment when we talk about openness, digital transformation in cities, connected also to the climate change aspect towards net zero. There is so much happening and it's so interesting to see where this is all coming up. So there is this event every January, um, which is for free uh, online. That's a resource, uh, of course, that you can tap in. Then we've launched um, the catalog, a city by city catalog that uh, will bring together in the future operational solutions in cities. There are already a couple on there, um, but it's launched as a beta. So uh, it's going to be bigger and bigger very soon. Um, so stay tuned for, for more solutions on there. Um, this is, I think, also a call maybe to uh, the foundation uh, base, base uh, that when you have open source solutions in your city, um, we would be happy to showcase them uh, on the catalog. Uh, and then there was a link actually just before that one, um, the Academy, which I actually want to spend a bit more time on, which is a bit my baby, I have to say. Um, the Academy is a platform that we're now building or have built, but now we're continuing to, to fill it as well with content, a hub where um, city representatives, but actually everyone else who is interested in the topic of digital transformation of cities and communities, um, from the student to, you know, uh, an SME or a company, whoever is interested in these topics can just jump in and basically uh, take a course, for example, on the standard for public code. And um, it was such a pleasure to, to really work with you guys on, on this course. And maybe you can also tell us a bit more about yeah. that. I mean, that, so it's not always me talking. <laughs> Well, that, that's the point of an interview, right? <laughs> that's true, but we also have a conversation, right? That's true. Uh, that's true. No, so, but it was uh, very nice to work with that platform. I never yeah. worked with that before. And this is uh, an introduction course to the standard. So it's not the, the most deep and we didn't use all the, the features you could use in, in, in the learning platform. But it was, if you, if you want to learn about the standard, you can go there and you have a us code base stewards from the foundation and other people from foundation like telling you a few things in videos and then there are some quizzes and if you go through it all there's a certificate of completion you can get and i it's been interesting to follow it along in the dashboard like you can see 
I don't remember how many it is now, but it, it's uh, one per week, perhaps, that is in completing the course. It was a lot of fun, like when we launched it in, in February, early February, but it's dripping in a few, and we haven't really plugged it hard yet. So, yeah. Yeah, and That's it's pretty true. cool seeing also the, like, the broader international community uh, doing it, because uh, in the end, we you kind of get to know, like, the usual suspects right like we always end up talking to each other it's kind of like the same usual suspects so it's pretty cool also seeing in for instance in your platform saying that uh maybe someone that we didn't have in our radar is doing the course like it's very motivating definitely yeah, yeah. and, and, and uh, also I mean, how, how we got this started i mean we started a project um called odala open data lakes for cities and in our kickoff meeting, there we had this discussion about the Foundation for Public Code and there were partners who didn't know about it. And this is how we also triggered um, the start of this, like, how can we make this maybe more accessible? I mean, the code that you have in, in PDF format, I mean, it's great. It's really great, but I have to admit, I'm struggling reading documents. I don't know if it's just me or, you know, hanging online every day for, I don't know, for so much. Now you have a hard copy, but I don't. And just... Um, I think it's so so nice as well that the platform also offers the opportunity to also see who's behind. So, I mean, if you go on there, you meet Jan, who explains you um, what the public code is. There is Alba and there are, you know, Eric, who is actually backstage. And um, so, you know, there's all cool people of Foundation for Public Code are there. And are just it, it just gives a different way of actually sharing knowledge. And I think this is what we're trying also there is to have an offer that really um, reaches everyone who's interested, um, no matter where you are in the world. So it can be, you can sit in the Philippines, you can be interested in a topic, you can take it for free um, whenever you like in the middle of the night or, you know, at 8 a.m. in the morning as part of your work or in your free time. And um, I think this is what I, what I really like about it. And we actually thought about launching the Academy even before uh, the pandemic, um, but now it became just so urgent as well that we said, okay, we need to do this because we, there's also no ch chance anymore to really get together quite nice. And now we finally got it off the ground. So I'm really happy about this. And thanks so much, guys, for, for being our um, sort of, how do you call this? Like the um, experimental rats, if you want. And for experimenting with us um, on this platform and, and for launching this course. Yeah. I think this was a real pleasure to work with you. So, yeah, so now it's been online for uh, about a month. Uh, what's your plans with this? Where, where do you want to take it next? Yeah. We, we really want to build it towards a platform um, that contains a lot of knowledge from a lot of free knowledge, first of all. Um, it, we, I think we mentioned my data before. I actually just came out of call this morning. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but we're now seeing if we can do a course on, on personal data and how my data actually works with this. There is one coming up on the, the 101 on open data for cities and communities. Our partner, Connected Places Catapult in the UK, they are working at the moment um, as we speak on a course for innovative procurement uh, and, and how cities can sort of um, start with this or learn the principles um, for innovative procurement and there's a lot more to come we will of course also do a course on on the MIMS it's a bit of a bit counterintuitive that we don't have this as a first course but it's coming uh, we're working on it and so we really want to provide the the academy also 
as a platform for our own member cities to just tap into the knowledge to see, so what are the MIMS? I just joined, I have no idea. And you just, okay, I do the course and um, in 30 minutes, I know. So this is a bit what we're trying to do. I think it also um, plays a bit into the question that Boris asked earlier, how do we manage the members? Um, I think by providing a self-serve platform um, that, that brings together um, the knowledge from the network, um, ideally at some point it, it will be that. It's, it's also a way of, of managing the members. So um, I'm, I'm really curious to see how this will develop in the next one, two years. And I, I hope it's going to be a strong platform, not only for our members, but really for everyone who's interested. And uh, now that you mentioned Boris, uh, Boris had another question I see in the, in the chat. So uh, yeah. Boris was wondering, how do you balance the bottom up and top down? For example, tools and collaboration versus policy instruments. How do they interact? I think they go hand in hand, um, which is quite nice. So we have, of course, um, channels and, and ways to actually feed the tools and collaboration and the outcomes of this into policy instruments. Um, so we, we try to connect the two uh, through various means. Um, there are platforms. There's, for example, the, the OLU declaration. It's also known as Join with Sustain or Living in EU where there are cities from our network, but also from other networks coming together also to feed in their needs into what's currently happening, for example, on the level of European Commission. There is also a lot going on internationally with the International Telecommunications Union, where there are four or three cities, where we also try to um, bring in use cases, best practices from the network, the MIMS, of course, as well, uh, to, to also to an international level. It's, of course, a balancing act, and it, it really depends on, on, on the case-to-case. -case. Um, but usually they go very well, well together. I, I, yeah, I think this is what I can say about that. Yeah. Boris apologizes for another long question. Thanks yeah. for your questions, yeah. Boris. You mentioned open data, and we talked about the, the open standards and the specifications. And you, you talked about the free knowledge and working in the open. But how do you feel the municipalities get on board with that level of openness? And also, perhaps connected, do you get any reactions from their traditional vendors? Actually, yes. Um, so I think one way also that this bottom-up and top-down um, goes hand in hand, if you say, okay, open standards are sort of bottom-up, but if you want to reach the scale and the implementation uh, on both sides, demand and supply, then you need the top-down too. Um, you need to make sure that the bottom-up sort of is reflected in, in those two. This is what I also mean by balance, of course. Um, you need the scale. And what we see is that the cities use it in more and more in procurements of data platforms, for example. And we see more and more vendors, both SMEs, uh, smaller companies, startups. Um, sometimes the SMEs are actually not that small. Um, <laughs> they're actually quite big, um, especially in Europe. But also the big um, vendors basically using um, these principles, using open standards. And there is really also, I think, a shift from these early days of the smart city discussion, where I think we all know these sort of IBM panopticum images where full-fledged services are, are sold to cities, where uh, simply there is a black box for the city where they don't own the data, where they 
have no insights into actually how this the system is working. I think there has there, a lot has happened since then, and and I think many um, public authorities also have fairly quickly realized that this is not the way to go. Now I think there is this momentum really where the open standards are becoming mainstream for sure, and where the vendors are picking them up. Um, and I think. Maybe I, I can also mention we are, we are going as of this year we are also working with with enterprises and SMEs, and we are only working of course with those who who pick up um, this way of thinking, and here we can also see from from Japan to Europe to the US um, the big companies are actually also on board with with what we're doing here and what the cities actually also want, and I think what they want is is not being stuck with a technology um, and and sort of eating up the costs from from a legacy system because it's not interoperable with anything that you might need on top um, or you are stuck with a vendor that just simply can't help you with what you're trying to do. A whole different stories are those cities who are doing a lot themselves. I think they're still quite rare. Um, but if you look to Amsterdam or Aarhus, for example, in Denmark, um, they're developing a lot themselves, which is, a, a, I think, quite extraordinary and quite cool as well. But uh, yeah, there is this change. And I, I think this is fairly exciting to see. So and we try also, as OAC, to be this platform where we bring together also demand and supply. So I, I, I think we're on a good path as well there to, to be successful. I think I'm going to ask you uh, another question related to, uh, I don't know, your role as an enabler or as a person that talks to a lot of people. And this question is a little bit of uh, as a seg. Uh, so which person or uh, what person would you recommend that we can invite for our following podcast? Yeah, this. I mean, there's so many people to recommend. Um, if you ever need a couple of names, I can definitely, uh, you know, link you up to some. Um, who I can think of, um, I think I mentioned them actually quite some time already in, in this meeting. In this meeting, I'm saying meeting, I'm stuck in too many Zoom meetings, I think. Um, I mentioned them in this interview with you guys. Uh, the colleagues from My Data Global, I think, would be really interesting to talk to. So I'm talking Timur Roponen, the, the general manager, but also Silisep, who is um, working on the community management there. I think they would be really interesting to talk to because personal data is something that is really interesting, but also a bit touchy. So um, how can you do that right? And I think my data is, is, has a really interesting proposal to make there. Hmm. All thanks. right, that's, yeah, thanks for that. That's uh, some really good recommendations. recommendations there. Yeah, yeah. 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 And this has been a lovely chat, but I think we, unfortunately, we need to start to wrap up this. Yeah, thank you guys for, for your time. Thank you, Leah, for, for joining us today and having this, this lovely conversation. Thank you for the questions and, and, all the, and all the audience. And of course, thank you, Jan, for joining me today again. Well, thank you, Alba. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. And uh, hey, if you want to dive into the technical nitty gritty at some point of what the MIMS are, I would recommend inviting my colleague Kerte Tanz uh, so he can actually really go into the deep rabbit hole of, of the tech of MIMS. But uh, for now, I think I, I leave you with a high level view. And um, thanks so much for the cooperation. It, it really is a blast to work with you guys. So thanks for having me. Likewise. Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, before we finish the, the live cast, I would like to remind you that the audio version of this will be out tomorrow evening. So uh, you can already subscribe to the podcast at podcast.publicco.net. Or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and get a notification when we do these live recordings also. 
yeah, we will be back in about a month more or less. And uh, yeah, we'll be back soon. And if you want to engage with us at the Foundation for Public Code, a little bit more interactive, we also have community calls uh, once a month. So it's every third Thursday of the month, we have the community call for the Foundation and every first Thursday for the Standard for Public Code. Yeah, I was going to also invite uh, all the audience to come over to, I don't know, publico.net and um, take a walk there and see how you can guys uh, contribute if you want to do so. So thanks a lot again and uh, see you soon. Bye. See you soon. Bye. Bye, guys.